How to start tonight. <laughs> yeah. I'll say this. When Jesus asked us to take up our cross, loved for it. Um, we had four years of an, of an amazing president. Amazing. And I encourage you to read his final address, his final address to the people. It's an amazing accomplishments are uh, unmatched. And I believe that um, our current president, when he said that there was a dark winter coming, I believe he was speaking prophetically. Um, but I don't think he knows what he means by that when he speaks prophetically. And so we do need to pray. Um, some people have been posting a lot, and, I'll, and I don't mean to rebuke or anything like that, but that Jesus is still on the throne. That was never the question. Jesus has always been on the throne. I don't think a Christian in the world ever doubts that or wonders where he is and why he isn't, you know, or if he is or isn't on the throne. Of course he is. Um, what God has done with our nation through its freedom and its liberty and its ability to worship Jesus freely we have exported more freedom, more liberty, more love, more gospel, more missionaries than any country in the history of the world. And what I don't think people understand is this just isn't an administration change. This is a change of many, many things to come. Now, we'll be, or they'll be trying to lull us all back to sleep as the curtain was pulled back for four years for us to see what was really going on. And we'll be lulled, and they'll be saying, it's okay, go back to sleep, go back to work, keep paying your stuff, keep it. nothing to see here. Please understand what Satan's goal is and where we're ending up. As the book of Revelation is beginning to unfold and we're getting closer and closer to the rapture, understand what needs to be set up for that and why things are the way they are. We have to have a global world order. We have to have that one world system. We have to have that for the Antichrist to find his way in and and although those things must take place, never does it ever say we're supposed to rejoice that these things are taking place. As Christians, if we lose our mourning and our sorrow, the troubles and the anguish that will be coming upon this world in years to come should bring us to tears like it has done all the prophets. When they prophesied against Israel, when they prophesied the things that were coming upon them, there was mourning involved with that, and there should be. There should be. And so keep that in mind. I thought it was appropriate that we're starting in Matthew chapter 1 today as the light of the world, Jesus Christ, is stepping into a nation that hasn't heard from God for 400 years. They're being oppressed by the Roman yoke at this time. All hope is lost. Many were wondering, where is the Messiah? Is he coming? Have we been duped? Is there anything that we missed in prophecy or anything? And yet here he comes. And although they were looking for the Messiah, they were looking for one that was going to take care of their political problems, that was going to take care of their difficulties and make their world right and better as they were, as they walked with the Lord, which they weren't at the time. See, the nation of Israel wasn't the most faithful group of people, although they were supposed to be. They were God's chosen people, but they weren't necessarily walking with them at the time Jesus was born. And Jesus came not only to show them the way back to God, but that their hope should be in him and in his government that will come upon this world. And don't ask for a savior from that necessarily, but for your own souls. Because although Rome could have been taken care of by Jesus, it wouldn't have been hard. There were many Barabbases out there doing their best, and Jesus could have come in and done his thing. 
That was not their immediate need. Their immediate need was for salvation, for their sins to be taken care of. And so we're going to be coming into an unprecedented time where hope will be lost for many, many people. And that's our time to shine. That's our time as Christians to stand up and tell people about the love of Christ. And not just the love of Christ, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. What that love means. What he's done for them. And that there needs to be a decision made in their lives to turn to him and to accept him as their Lord and Savior. To be born again, as he says in John 3, you must be born again. You cannot go to heaven unless you're born again. And so that'll be our time and our opportunity. And so as we get into Matthew chapter 1, in a certain place of mourning in our own hearts for the troubles that will be coming upon this world shortly, we also want to take heart and know that our mission has never been more important, never been more essential right now, but to stand up and carry our cross wherever we go, regardless of friends or family or even, we thought, fellow believers, even though they may spit on you, they may think you're crazy or may think that you're worthy of being crucified, carry that cross. Because if they hated him, they're going to hate us. And so um, I smile because there's joy in that, in the sense that we get to share, like Paul says, in the sufferings of Christ. And I just hope we're prepared for that. I I think we are. I'm preaching to the choir. You're here tonight. Um, But boy, we're going to be used more and more if we keep our eyes wide open, get into our word, study, prepare, prayed up. There'll be opportunities every single day for us to share our faith. Opportunities for us every day to be spit on. There'll be lots of opportunities. And I hope we all step through those doors. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight as we get into Matthew and begin this wonderful breaking of silence where you step in with angels telling everybody what's going to happen and things are going and The plan is unfolding and how exciting that was for everybody and how, boy, they had to be paying attention to you. Moving when you told them to move, staying when you told them to stay, trusting when they had doubts. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts tonight and and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew is a text collector, and we believe he wrote this book. That's why it's titled Matthew. And right off the bat, he wants us to understand something, the reader to understand, who, for the most part, would have been Hebrews, but we get the benefit of it, that Jesus, this son, has a genealogy of David. Abraham, the father of faith, but David, the king. In other words, the king that the Jews were looking for had to be of the line of David. And so before he starts telling them about this wonderful the Messiah that's come, he has to first establish in their hearts that he's worthy of that throne. Because only people of the line of David could be of that throne, could step into that role of king. And so he tells us this genealogy, the genealogy we're reading here in Matthew, is of Joseph. The stepdad, basically, the adopted, or the one who adopted Jesus. Mary's genealogy is in Luke, and that's the bloodline, and she also follows the line of David as well, and we'll see where that break is here as we go through this genealogy. 
Genealogies aren't necessarily something that I was ever interested in in my family, and I don't know about you. Some of you know your genealogies better than I do, obviously. I just never occurred to me. I figured once we were past great-grandma, eh, it just wasn't of interest. I don't know if that was because it wasn't instilled in me or what, but the genealogy here that's portrayed or that's been documented for us is very, very important, and it must be known. And so that's why Matthew takes the time to do this. He begins with Abraham, whereas Mary's genealogy goes all the way back to Adam. But Joseph's, we start with Abraham, Abraham the father of faith. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah. We always say that, and you'll find that in Scripture, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and now you know where they get that from. That's, the, that's those three right off the bat. Now, he begot Judah, the tribe of Judah, and his brothers, but we don't talk about them because we're not worried about them. We're worried about the tribe of Judah. Judah begot Perez um, and Zerah by Tamar. Oftentimes in genealogies, you won't find women's names, but in this one you do. Four women, in fact. And Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, not mentioned, but is in here because they mention her son, or the husband, Uriah. Bathsheba and all four of these, um, Rahab and Tamar especially, are women of ill repute. They're, they're not... Um, well, they're not someone you would think would be in a kingly line, you know? They're sinners. Tamar had to dress up like a prostitute on the side, and Sneaky got Judah, her father-in-law, to sleep with her to have a baby because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And the story is long and involved, but talk about a, talk about a story you don't share at Thanksgiving, you know, kind of thing. Well, she had Perez, and Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Solomon. We know that. We know him. Solomon. Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Now, Rahab was a harlot. Rahab was the one that hid the spies, the two spies that came in, to spy out Jericho. Jericho was the first town that the nation of Israel was going to conquer, and they sent out spies to know whether they should or not. She found them and knew that God was with this nation that was going to be coming across the river, and although a harlot, although a prostitute, knew what she should do, knew she needed to get right with God and hid these two people. Well, this, this gal gets married to one of those guys and has this little boy, Boaz, now, Boaz is in the book of Ruth. Ruth is a wonderful book. And you'll have to get into that. I can't, I wish I could go over all of these books with you, but the genealogy here is so rich and so amazing. Now, Ruth is a Moabitess. She's not even Jewish. Ruth came, um, Ruth came with her mother-in-law back from Moab and and, and met this guy named Boaz while she was gleaning in his field, and he went ahead and married her, and um, amazing story, and they begot this little boy named Obed, Obed, which I think is a great name for a boy. Somebody needs, needs to use that name again, you know. We come up with some crazy names nowadays. Why not use Obed? It's a good Bible name there. And he begot Jesse. Now, Jesse, man, there are a lot of prophecies about Jesse, Jesse. 
Because Jesse begot David the king, and everybody loves David. Everybody knew David. David had his problems, but David was a man after God's own heart. Now, David the king begot Solomon. That's the um, that's his son by her who had been the wife of Uriah. That's where we sneak in Bathsheba without actually saying Bathsheba. Um, and that's a whole story in and of itself where Bathsheba um, had an affair with David while Uriah was out uh, doing battle. So another woman who wasn't exactly, uh, didn't have the greatest background. Now, why is that important? Why do I focus on that? Well, because as Joseph gets picked here, to be the stepdad, so to speak, I don't know if there's a better way to put it, but the, adopt, the father who adopts Jesus and raises Jesus, we're also adopted into the family of God as we are. Now, God loves us where we are, brings us into his family where we are as we're born again in Jesus, born by the Spirit, we're brought in. Now, not to leave us that way, but there isn't a sin in our past that can't be brought into the family of God and forgiven. He's very faithful to do that for us. It's very comforting to know. And so when we read about Tamar, we read about Rahab, and we read about kind of Bathsheba, we think, now there's a God who is forgiving, there's a God who's merciful, there's a God who's loving. And that's why those are in there, for us to be reminded of that. Now this is where the break is. David also had another, Nathan, and that's where um, if you look in the book of Luke to see that genealogy of Mary, that's where this branches off. Solomon is for Joseph. Nathan is for Mary. Anyway, we're continuing on with Joseph. David, the king, begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz. Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. And Manasseh begot Ammon. Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah. That's another one you want to circle. Jeconiah was a bad guy and was cursed so that nobody from his line from there on out could become king. So although Jesus has the right through this genealogy of Joseph to become king, he can't become king through Joseph, if he was really Joseph's son, because Jeconiah was cursed. Now, a lot of you are like, that's a lot for Wednesday night. I know. Here's the thing. Not only was Jesus a king or a messiah, you had to be so specific One of the things that, oh boy, you need more coffee for this Wednesday night service, but it is hard to not go through this. The first step in, in understanding salvation, <laughs> God help me here, you have to know that there is a creator who is absolutely perfect. See, many think that um, the idea of the Bible and Christianity and Genesis and the way things started is an idea that we've all chosen among many other ideas, but every other idea outside of what we know through Christianity and, and Genesis is within perfection, which can't be. You can't have a creator or some little G God out there that's an, 
another idea of the way creation started if they're imperfect. Bear with me. Our God has to be perfect. If he's not perfect, then he's at fault and corruptible. Maybe that word helps us. Because at some time, this perfect God will become corrupted and everything goes to hell in a handbasket, including himself. If we have creation, if there's any hope, if there's any salvation, our God has to be perfect in order for things to work out like they're supposed to work out, in order for things to flow. Otherwise, we're all doomed. Think of it this way. We want to save our planet, but it is kind of the elephant in the room that the sun is going to burn out at some time. So we're going to have to get off this thing. We know that thing isn't going to burn forever. It's not going to rejuvenate. It is in a constant state of decay. And so we're going to have to get on this plot, this planet, and find another one. Maybe millions of years from now, if you go that route. But eventually, we're going to have to get off this and find another one that's inhabitable. Okay? That being said, and not going any further than that, you get the point. Eventually, the galaxy burns out. Eventually, the universe burns out. Eventually, it's all for naught. It's a complete waste of time. Whatever we try to do to save ourselves now is just going to push off what's going to happen inevitably, unless. Unless that's not correct. Unless creation isn't the beginning and the end, but there was a beginner, a person, who was perfect. You see, I know it's a lot. Deep for Wednesday night. But you've got to know that to understand why these things that we're reading are so important. The Messiah wasn't just a Messiah, a man who kind of fit and sort of in it. He's absolutely perfect. There is no room for error in the Messiah. There is no room. God came in the flesh in Jesus the Christ, our Savior, and lived an absolutely perfect walk with him and did absolutely the only thing that could take place for us to be saved in order for us to go to a place that he's prepared for us. There is no variation. There is no movement in any of this. It is Stiff, rigid, and a must, and must be perfect the way it is. So when I talk about Jeconiah, (laughs) and you're like, who cares? Well, he was cursed, but isn't that interesting that Joseph, the dad, had to be of the line of David, but because he's Jeconiah, could only be the stepdad, whereas Mary, who had to be, (laughs) Jesus had to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, And she is of that line, but not of the line of Jeconiah. She branched off at Nathan. I know it's deep, and I know it's a study in and of itself. And not to go much further than that, but understand, this is amazingly precise. It's absolutely perfect. And he's trying to show that in himself. And I hope we understand that, but you can take the time on another night with more coffee in you or maybe a better <laughs> to maybe tackle these things and study them. But sometimes I take it for granted that you know what I know or what I've studied and you don't necessarily. But I encourage you to look into that so you understand there is no other salvation. There is no other way. And I'm not saying that because I prefer Christianity. I'm literally saying if you have any thinking mind, any atheist who wants to really know the truth as they study these things, there is no other way. All other options are off the table and can be thought out. He's a reasonable God. He wants us to reason with him. 
It's absolutely perfect what's happened here. Verse 12. <laughs> and after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shiltiel. And Shiltiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot um, Abiud. I don't know. He begot Elkayim. Eliakim, excuse me. Uh, and then Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok. Zadok begot um, Achim. Achim begot Iliad. Iliad begot Eliezer. Eliezer begot Matathen. Um, 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 and Madison begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph. <laughs> there we are. The husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So again, Jesus is his first name, meaning Yeshua. It's the Greek version of Yeshua. Um, and that's why we call him Jesus. We're speaking Greek when we say that. So congratulations, you know Greek. But his real name, if it was in Hebrew, would be Joshua, or we would, they would pronounce it because they don't use the J sound in Hebrew. It's Yeshua, which is a, it's a combination of two words. It's God's salvation is what it means, okay? So that's how Joseph came into the system here. Joseph begot, or Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ, or called Christ. So also, or so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations, and from captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Okay, good. Good to know. Now, now this is what we read at Christmas time. Now, now you're all used to this. Now you got some genealogy behind you. You got some meat you can chew on. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, so they're engaged, but not like our kind of engagement. They're like as good as married, except for the physical portion of it. Okay, so that had to wait till the wedding night. But they are betrothed, and that's why they call him husband, but he hasn't known her yet. Okay, so husband without the physical. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Not knowing the plan, not knowing what was going on, Joseph humbly, I would say, came to the conclusion, this is, I don't, you know, whatever's happened here, I don't want her dead, because that is the punishment for adultery, for fornication, is to be stoned. I'm going to put her away secretly. He was minded. It was in his heart, in his mind, to do this. That's what he's going to do. But while he thought about it, or about these things, hard day for him, hard night for him. Imagine what he went through emotionally. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you marry or take to you Mary your wife for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins that was a welcome dream Joseph has a dream because he's a godly man he's a godly man because he wasn't going to have this woman killed he was willing to forgive her he was willing to show mercy he was willing to show grace he truly knew his God Jesus wasn't being raised by just a carpenter, just a blue-collar guy. God chose Joseph and allowed Joseph to be that man on earth, to be his father, 
on earth because he was a godly man. I want to be a godly man. I want to follow the Lord. I want to have that kind of heart where although justice would make me feel better in my flesh to choose grace and mercy for what God has done for me. And Joseph does that. And thank goodness he did. Thank goodness he thought about it. Thank goodness he was crying out to God. And as he's lying there asleep, God says, I'll answer that prayer. Don't worry about it. It's okay. What I've done is amazing. Now, you talk about a swing from how in the world did I get caught up in this mess as a godly man, and I thought she was a godly woman, to have this happen to me, to all the way being, are you kidding me? I'm chosen to raise the Christ, the one we've all been waiting for? And you could see Joseph as he's been studying the scripture, as a man who would have been looking for the Messiah, waiting for God's light to enter the world, looking for this Savior. And to put it all together, and to, of course this makes perfect sense. Now, nobody else in that town believed Mary and Joseph. Nobody. Later on, when Jesus is having a conversation with the religious rulers, they say to Jesus, we were not born of fornication. Which means Jesus' whole life had that stigma about it that Joseph and Mary or who knows what happened there. But it wasn't of the Holy Spirit, that's for sure. That's how they thought. Joseph carries his cross right here. He begins to carry his burden, begins to carry the weight of the responsibility of raising the Messiah, who is coming into the world in a way that nobody thought the Messiah would come. This is not what they planned on. This is not what they thought. But he's coming. It says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What a relief to know that's coming. What a relief for Joseph to be a part of that. God is sending the Savior. He is finding the way. Everybody knows that the lamb and the goats and the sacrifices that they performed all the time in the tabernacle or whether the temple or the tabernacle, depending on which generation you're in, all of those were worthless. They only covered over their sins, but they didn't take away the sins of the world. This is different. Jesus will save them from, save his people from their sins. Verse 22. So all this was done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. That's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Matthew puts these in here, not only the genealogy, but he is very methodical about showing that this is the Messiah. Prophecy is spoken hundreds of years beforehand. The genealogy is correct, absolutely perfect. And he will do that to reassure the reader, this happened and fulfilled this prophecy. This happened and he fulfilled this prophecy. This happened. Telling the story, explaining to the guys that were looking for the Messiah, not understanding all the prophecies. How do they all go together? It's a jumbled mess. When I started reading the Bible 30 plus years ago, it's a big book. And it's weird, and it doesn't read right. It doesn't read like the other books I've read. It's huge. It doesn't make sense. It's disjointed. I, I couldn't put two. What do you mean Genesis has to do with this, that? You, I couldn't tell you anything about it. It was 
overwhelming the size and the scope of God's word. But I knew because God said, read my word. And so I did. And as I read his word, that made sense. But this verse didn't make sense, but that's okay. I'm going to put it in the need-to-know basis in my back pocket, and I'll keep reading, and all of a sudden, later on in God's Word, that explained that. And as I go through God's Word, it explains itself. It begins to interpret itself and show, oh, oh, well, that goes here, that goes there. That's what Matthew's trying to do for the reader. Remember all those prophecies didn't make sense? Remember how the rabbis would read and then kind of skip that because it talked about a suffering Messiah? They didn't know how to explain that one, so they kind of skipped over those passages. We do that today in church. Churches all across America won't read the book of Revelation because they don't think they can understand it. Read it. That's the only book in the Bible that says you'll be blessed if you read it. So read it, and then read it again, and read it again, and read it in light of all the Scripture, and watch it just come to life. And it makes total sense. That's what Matthew's trying to do with these prophecies. This is Isaiah 7.14. Oh, yeah. Isaiah 7.14. Later on, he's going to go Micah 5.2 and all these other prophecies. Start pulling them all in. And the reader's supposed to go, oh, of course. Oh. Verse 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. He had to abstain, he had to wait. But he did marry her and he did raise him. Um, But also this scripture tells us that he also had other children with her. Later on in the scripture, and we'll get to that as we go through Matthew, but Jesus' brothers and sisters show up. Now, I don't know why it's so important for the Catholic Church to proclaim that Mary was always a virgin and a perpetual virgin. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's not biblical. It's not scriptural. The Bible tells us that she had other children, so she wasn't a perpetual virgin. She was a virgin when she was with child with Jesus. But after that, Mary knew her, and Mary knew Joseph, and Joseph knew Mary. That means they physically consummated the relationship and had other kids. And those are the ones that even in his own household, they didn't even believe Jesus' mission. But there are other children by Joseph. Now that, we don't hear much more from Joseph later on. I mean, he disappears from the scene. We assume he died. Now the Bible doesn't tell us that and it kind of bothers me. I wish I knew what happened to Joseph, but he doesn't tell us. God doesn't see fit because that's not the point. We're not here to watch Joseph or follow Joseph. We're not even here to watch Mary because after Jesus is crucified on the cross, we don't hear anything from Mary from here on out. The last words from Mary in the Bible are, do whatever he tells you to do. And that's at the wedding. It's the last words. It would be good for us to know that and for all churches to follow her advice. Just do what Jesus, my son, tells you to do. Don't follow me. Now, after Jesus was born, chapter 2, in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, Jesus has been born, and he's now moved to a smaller, you know, he's been, uh, he was circumcised on the eighth day. He's already seen uh, 
um, the two prophet, the prophetess and the prophet uh, on the steps of the temple. And now it's, it's much later. The wise men have come. They've been traveling a long way. They go to find this king, assuming he'd be at the palace. So they go to Herod and they ask him, where's this king that we've been looking for? Where's this new baby? <laughs> when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Because I haven't had a baby and, and all. And all Jerusalem with him. They were all troubled at this. Well, they knew if Herod was troubled, they'd all be troubled. Because he was a crazy guy. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ or the child or the Christ was to be born. You guys know about this, he says? Yeah, we knew about this. He's supposed to be born. Well, thanks for telling me, you know. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who's, who will shepherd my people Israel. Micah 5, 2, 700 years before Christ. 700 years before. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now, later on in this chapter, it's going to say that once Herod knew that he was deceived, there is no deception on the parts of the wise men. The wise men do not deceive King Herod. The only person deceiving anybody right now is King Herod. Okay. He's not going to worship. He's going to kill this child is what he wants to do. So keep that in mind as we go through this story and keep the wording properly. He told them, you tell me, and they didn't answer. It says in verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed. They just kind of looked at him. They, I don't know. They get a sense. Later on, they get a, a witness from the Lord to tell them not to go back to this guy. But they heard the king. They departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. This Christmas, there was a lot of excitement about the two joining planets and stars and all this stuff. Well, okay, great. That's not this star. What, what happened in the sky this last Christmas, the 22nd, I think, is when it actually took place or whatever, was not a reoccurrence of this event right here. We need to read God's word very carefully. This is a different star. This isn't a, a joining together. This isn't a coming together of planets that we've been watching and that happen every, every so often this thing occurs. Like Jonah had a fish prepared for him to take him to Nineveh, this star is prepared by God for this moment and hasn't been seen since. It was a one-time occurrence despite whatever videos have been made and all that, I guess we love to explain these things away because look how it reads. They had been following this star that was leading them. It wasn't just a thing. I can go due east. And once I'm going due east, I don't care if the stars are anymore. Do I just keep walking until I find some baby? Look how it's worded. The star had disappeared apparently for a time. 
Because it says in verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. This is a miraculous event. This is a movement in the sky. This is something that moves and then stops when it's not supposed to stop and stood over where the baby was. And this isn't at the stable. This is now at a house. He's one and a half years old, maybe one years old right now. And it's standing there over that. This is a a miraculous thing. It stood where the young child was, not the baby. And when they come into the house, not the stable, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. We don't worship a king. You give homage to a king. You might bow down to a king. You might bring him gold, frankincense, and myrrh, all that's appropriate stuff. But to worship, they knew something was special. Mary and Joseph knew something was special. This is more confirmation. They had shepherds show up. They've had two prophets speak over this baby now. They're getting encouragement and confirmation along the way that what they heard is true. That the angel that Joseph heard in his sleep, the dream that he had, wasn't just a dream. You know how that is. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. And I want you to do that tonight because there's going to be times when we're led by the Holy Spirit where we get excited because we know we heard from the Lord and we start to step off and walk and then he doesn't talk to us for a while and then you kind of wonder if you're crazy. What am I doing here? How did I get here? I mean, do you think Joseph ever looked back at Mary and wondered? Do you think he ever wondered, wait a minute, what's going on? What am I... uh, Every step of the way, these folks get encouragement. They get a little little something more to let them know, no, you're okay. I think of Paul, when he's ministering several times, Jesus will come alongside of him, especially at Corinth, and he says, why don't you stay here for a while? No one's going to harm you here. But God has to send an angel to tell him that because he was worried about being harmed. And we know that from Scripture. When God brings prophetesses and prophets alongside and lets them know we're getting our baby to get circumcised, Joseph's like, yeah, I guess. And then all of a sudden, Anna stops his prophetess and says, it's the Messiah. And Joseph's like, all right. A little encouragement. God will encourage you in your walk. He'll encourage you as you're led by the Holy Spirit. You might second-guess yourself, and that's fair. I'm here to tell you, that's fair. I don't ever second-guess God. I'm never one to say, God doesn't know what he's doing. He made a mistake. No, but I'm fully aware of who I am and my inability to hear from God or me making God's voice or my voice sound like God's voice in my life. I know that about myself. And so I may get excited about this or that or the other ministry and say, here we go. Maybe it's not me or maybe it was me. Maybe it wasn't the Lord. And God will come alongside and someone will encourage you and say, no, it was me. Keep going. Keep going. He's faithful to do that. Stay humble. Stay attentive to his leading. So these guys come and they bow down. Shepherds have bowed down. Anna's come. So on. The prophet has come. And now these kings have come from a long ways away. And they're bowing down. They fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is going to be very handy as they're about to take flight and run to Egypt. Carpenters don't make that much money. (laughs) 
Mary doesn't have any money, you know, more than likely. How do you move to another country, especially one that's not very favorite, you know, <laughs> doesn't have most favored nation status with Israel at this time, you know, but that's where we're going. We're going to head out. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They bring him these gifts. And now we get these pictures of these guys bringing these little boxes. Here's some gold. Here's some frankincense and myrrh. And that's appropriate because you got to, you know, how are you going to set the nativity up on your, on your piano if you've got camel loads of stuff, you know? I would love to see that. I like a real nativity where you've got, you've got the, the stable over there and you've got the wise men about, you know, a year and a half away over there. And you slowly, after Christmas, begin to move these guys closer and closer. We do that stupid elf on the shelf. Sorry, dumb, dumb. Let, let's, do, let's do wise men on camels and bring them closer and closer and leave that up, you know, and move them and move them. Maybe not a year and a half, maybe move it along a little faster than that. But teach your kids. And then when they come, these guys don't show up with three camels, they come with an entourage. You don't go in a caravan for a year or so or months or however long it took them to get there. You don't go, you don't do that. You bring all of your folks with you. These guys probably had 25 to 50 guys each with them to take care of their needs, to set up tents, to make sure they had food, water. There's 100 camels in this. When these guys show up, all of Israel is worried. How do they know? Remember when they showed up at Herod and said Herod was worried and all of Israel was worried? How did they know these three guys showed up? Because it wasn't three guys. It was a motorcade of camels, you know, coming in. And so when these guys bring their representative gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I guarantee you, that's not what you bring to a king as tribute. You bring trunks. This is huge. This is a big deal. This is necessary. Then, after they've worshipped, after they've provided their gifts, done what they were supposed to do, isn't it wonderful to be used by God like that? You guys want to see the king, my Messiah? Yeah, I do. Go bring him some gold. You bet. Because he's going to need it. And all of a sudden, you're that instrumental role in the Messiah's life. You know? Be led of the Lord. You'll be used in so many amazing ways. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. God says, don't go tell him where this boy is. I don't want you to tell him that. Okay. So they go home another way. Now, verse 13 is what I was talking about. When they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. God knows. But God doesn't stop the slaughter that's about to take place. And a lot of people have to reconcile that, and Christians really have to understand that in our hearts. There is free will in this world, whether a person believes it or not. And there is a Messiah who's coming to pay for the sins of the world. If God was a God that steps in and stops people from sinning, then there would be no need for the Savior and you would not have free will, and I would not have free will. It all comes together. It all works together for love. If God creates a person in love, in his image, they have to have autonomy. They have to have freedom to choose or to reject the God who made them. They have to have the ability to choose to 
sin or to follow the Lord? To be obedient to God or to not be obedient to God? They have to have that. And so when we say, if there was a good God, why does he let bad things happen? Because he's a good God. And unfortunately, we are in the wake of other people's destruction, and we feel the drunk driver's wrath and foolish choices. And so although God knows that Herod is going to do this, to seek out the child to destroy him, he does not stop it. He has eternity in mind. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived, was he? No. By the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Sometimes it's best to keep your mouth shut. I remember, um, oh boy, what was his name? The pastor, he broke into Russia and planted a lot of churches, but it was, I mean, it was at the height of communism there, and it was not legal. And he described how they would get Bibles across the border into Russia. And he says, you know, you don't tell them everything. You answer the questions the best you can. He says, I'd light up a cigarette. I didn't smoke it, but I lit it up, and I played the raunchiest rock music I could in the truck, and I pulled up to the checkpoint coming into Russia, and they asked me what I was carrying, and I told them I was carrying books. And they said, okay, go ahead. And they let me through, he says. That's how he smuggled Bibles into Russia, you know. They're books. I wasn't smoking it. I don't know. Sometimes you don't say everything you need, you know. It's okay. These guys, when did you first see the star? It was about two years ago when we first saw it. Good to know. Didn't need to say all that. Didn't need to share all that. And the fact that they shared all that helped him determine how many kids were going to die. From two years old and under, according to the time which he determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. Bethlehem is her town. Refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Horrible prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, 600 years prior to this. The out of Egypt, I forgot to mention that one. I called my son as Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, 700 years also before Christ was born. They had a lot of prophecies. Remember I told you how they were confused and didn't know whether they should believe this one or that one or the other one? Because Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem, he was going to be born in Egypt, and, and he was going to raise, be raised in Nazareth. That's three different towns. How does that work out? It's amazing how precise God is. Born in Bethlehem, right? Raised in Nazareth, was in Egypt, but came out of Egypt. All three 
prophecies where there was probably groups in, at synagogue that said, well, I'm the Egypt guy. I believe those guys. You're, oh, you're the Nazarene guys. Oh, okay. Oh, you're the Bethlehem guys. And there was probably a division in the church of you guys are the Egypt, you're the, you're the, you know, the Nazareans, and, 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 and you're the Bethlehem folks. And never got along, never had potlucks together because you, and all three of you were right the whole time because God's word is always right. Interesting. Not to lose the forest here. We're into the trees a little bit. Goes to Egypt and is protected from Herod coming in and killing all these babies. Jesus is saved and protected. Satan has never stopped trying to kill Jesus. Never stops throughout this book trying to kill Jesus. Tries to stop him from going to the cross. Stop him from fulfilling his ministry. You want to know where anti-Semitism comes from? It comes from Satan. That's where anti-Semitism comes from, from Satan. Still trying to kill, still trying to destroy, still trying to wipe out. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother and came uh, into the land of Israel. Joseph's being used a lot, you know. That's wonderful to feel a part of it, to lead. He could be talking to Mary. He could be, you know, nope, you're very much a part of this. I very much want you to be the leader of the family, to be the one raising this child, protecting this child. You're very instrumental in this. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. There's that third place. Bethlehem, Egypt, Nazareth. All three fulfilled. Now, just some prophecies and then we'll close. We talked about Jesse in the genealogy. Jesse was the father of David. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall go grow out of its roots. A prophecy about the Messiah. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Another prophecy about the Messiah. Zechariah 3, 8. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. Zechariah 6.12, a few chapters later, then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is is the branch, from his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Prophecy, prophecy, prophecy. Specific, specific. Just as Jesus, there's my encouragement for the night, and then we'll close. Just as specific was his first coming, he's very specific about his second coming. And he describes the things in this book, we'll get to it in chapter 24, we're a few weeks away, of what we're to be looking for before the second appearing of Jesus Christ, before the rapture, and then the second appearing of Jesus Christ in that order. And we're going to read that. And we should know, the first time Jesus came, as he's coming into Jerusalem, he's weeping on the donkey because the people do not understand what he's there to do. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
If you knew what was awaiting you, he was mourning in his heart. He's the one who knows he's going to the cross, and yet he's weeping and crying for those around him because they have no idea the troubles and tribulations that are coming upon them, which is maybe how a lot of us feel tonight. Of course Jesus is on the throne, but I weep and mourn for this world does not know the trouble and the tribulations that are coming upon it soon. And yet our mission is clear. We're called to minister, to serve, and to be ambassadors for Christ on this earth until his second coming. The first group didn't know when he was coming. They were caught off guard. They were unaware. We have no excuse to be caught off guard when he shows up again. When the rapture takes place, none of us should be, oh, I didn't know you are coming today. We're supposed to be looking up. When we see these things happening, he says, look up for your redemption draws near. You've been paid for, you've been purchased, but you haven't been picked up yet. Your redemption draws near. We should be ready. We should be joyous because he's coming soon. And although we're sad and mourning for the rest of the world, we should be all about telling people about how they can be saved, what's coming upon this world. Be saved. If you don't know Jesus tonight, you've never been born again, you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you need to do that tonight. There is no better time. Today is the day of salvation for you. There is coming upon this world something that you've never, a tribulation, a difficult time, a trial that no one's ever seen like it before and will never see anything like it again. And God came, Jesus came to die on the cross for your sins to save you from the penalty of those sins, which is death. But also to keep you from that hour of trial. He promises us that, to keep us from that hour of trial. He writes that in the book of Revelation, in the letters to the churches, to keep us from that. If you want to be kept from that, if you want to be saved from your sins, pray with me now. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for the perfect Savior that you are. I know that there is no other way for me to be saved. I know there is no other name under heaven by which I can be saved, or that any man can be saved, except through your son, Jesus. There aren't many ways to heaven. There's only one. He who has the Son has the Father. He who does not have the Son does not have the Father. We know that. And I believe that in my heart. Jesus, I want to be born again. I want to be resurrected. I want to be able to understand your word. I want to be in fellowship with you. I want my spirit revived. That I might have fellowship and communion with you, God. So I give you my life tonight. I thank you that you gave your life for me and I return, the, I return my life to you. I want to live for you. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to leave that old man and my old ways behind me and I want to walk with you, for you, in the newness of life, in that new creation that I am. Help me to understand your word. Make, make the book understandable. Help me to understand your word. Teach me and be with me. Show me what you want me to do how to be, what to say, where to go. Lead me by your spirit. Lord, bless these folks as they go tonight. Bless the little kids who got taught your word tonight. Bless the teachers who took the time to prepare, to teach, and to share with our little ones. I pray that you bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. We'd be glad to pray with you.